Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, it's 1235 in Edmonton. Brendan Ulrich with you here on Oilers Now. Some guests on Oilers Now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Ball the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. A reminder that every Wednesday is date night at Roos Chris, where two can dine for $120. Eskimo game coming up here tonight on 6.30. Chad, the Eskimos opening up their season on the road in Winnipeg. We'll uh, tee that one up with Morley Scott at 135. At 105, Brian Lott will join us from the NHL Network. And right now, we bring aboard our Thursday regular contributor. It's Louis DeBrusque. Oh, I clicked the wrong button. All right, there we go. Louis. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? How are you today? Not bad. I know we missed you last week. You were uh, out fishing, I believe. How was that? Yeah, it was great. You know what? I was up in Dipper Lake with uh, Kevin Carius. We, uh, Chased after some walleye. He's going to probably brag that he had the biggest walleye of the trip, which unfortunately I have to agree and say that he did. <laughs> but uh, I think I caught more than him. So I think I went for the numbers. He went for the size. I wanted more on my hook. But it was a great time. We were up in uh, northern Saskatchewan, and it was uh, incredible weather and a great fishing trip. You're the total outdoorsman, aren't you? You love hunting too, as well. So, uh, I, well are you been hunting at all this summer? Or spring? I have oh, no, 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 summer no, yet, no. I guess. No, there's a few things that you can chase after for sure in the spring, but uh, I haven't been. I've just been. i been pretty busy, so the, the fishing trip was one of the things I had planned, and he's been he's been preaching about this Dipper Lake for a long time, and, uh, you know, I finally took him up on the offer to go with his friends. Great bunch of guys. We had a blast and a lot of fish, no question. Awesome stuff. Well, you we mentioned you're busy. I know you'll be uh, heading out to uh, Dallas for the draft here shortly. We'll hit on that uh, a little bit later. I want to start uh, this interview, Louis, asking about uh, Nick Boynton and this article that he wrote in the Players' Tribune. It's a very moving article. If you have not read it yet, uh, I'll tweet it out on the Oilers Now account. But it was, to be honest, it was tough to read. Like, I was struggling to get through it. You can really feel the pain and, uh, you know, the message he's trying to send about mental health through this story. Uh, But clearly playing the game as a tough guy throughout the years clearly has affected him so uh, of course you played a similar role in the NHL as well so I- I'm sure it was sort of moving for you I like to get your just your interpretation of the article how you see things and if you can relate to uh, what Nick is feeling at all yeah I agree with you man I thought it was a really hard article to read and just uh, at the same time I thought it was uh, I commend him for how brave he was to speak his mind and, and tell the truth and and come out and really give people a perspective of what he was dealing with and, and, and be totally honest in his evaluation of it. Uh, I didn't realize that he was dealing with that much throughout his career. I did cover him uh, as a radio analyst in Phoenix when he was with the Coyotes, and he was 
teammates with Dan Carcillo at that time, too, another guy that's come out vocally and talked about these things, and he was mentioned in the article as well. But listen, for, for Nick Boyd, I don't know if the, the physical aspect of it came naturally for him. You know, I think he was a big physical guy, but the fighting aspect of it, I think, really weighed on his mind. But there's no question that he took some punishment throughout his career. He was a really hard-nosed player. And, um, you know, he talked about the fights, but the things that, that I picked out of that article were it was also the hits. You know, for him, it was the continuous hits into the boards and the, the little blindside shots that you don't necessarily see. And in that era where he played, you know, a blindside and hit wasn't even a suspension. You know, it was just part of the game. So he said those really took their toll. He, he mentioned up to 10 or 11, I believe, documented concussions that he had, and who knows how many he played through in junior uh, when he was in Ottawa and then came on to the National Hockey League and just topped it out and played through, which is so typical of athletes today in any respective sport. They just It's so hard for... Personally, I don't think they have the ability to turn it off. I don't think they have the ability to take themselves out of that equation. We've had this discussion before, Bob and I. I think it's up to the league, and they're trying to now with their spotters and their mandated people in the building to try and find these guys and, and get them out of the games. But even still, players will negotiate and try and stay in the game because they don't want to come out of the game. It's just it's in their blood to be that way. But now you're hearing a story of Nick Boynton, and he's talking about the fact that those concussions did add up and those concussions affected his life, not only after the game, but during when he was playing in the National Hockey League and trying to finish his career. Just uh, you know, a really heartfelt story by him that I, you know, I read it, and it was difficult because I know Nick on a personal level, and I think he's a great guy. He's an, he's an, he's an awesome teammate. I know the people that play with him loved him. And uh, you know what? It turned him into something that he didn't want to be. You know, he was he was self-medicating uh, for the pain, for the mental issues that he was dealing with. And I'm just glad now that he's 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 released that and he's starting to talk about it and, and trying to get help for it because um, we've seen the road that so many guys before him have taken, and it's a negative, vicious cycle downward spiral that uh, doesn't usually end well. So I'm glad that he's expose this problem and he's, uh, he's he's trying to deal with it because he's a really good guy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I know it's a little different today in, in terms of uh, the way the game is played, not as many fights, and they're trying to, you know, eliminate the, the headshot as, as best as they can, but now the game is a lot faster, so there is still headshots taking place, there is still fighting. But the fact that uh, we're talking about it now, at least, is a good thing. I think that's what Nick's trying to, you know, spread through this uh, article that he wrote. He, he's, he said he's not trying to blame anyone for this. He just wants to, you know, share his story and help people along the way. I think that's maybe the message he's trying to spread here. And for you as well, when you finished uh, hockey, um, I don't know if you can relate to, to what he was going through at all, but uh, did you feel at all lost when you first uh, ended your career, Louis? Did you feel like there was people you could talk to at all about uh, things like this? I feel like I've always had people to talk to. You know, my family's been incredible. My wife's been incredible. And my friends have been incredible. But, uh, but at the same time, I certainly can relate to them. And not only after the game, but during, during when I was playing. The reason that I hung up the skates, it wasn't from a physical ailment or, or injuries for me. It was mentally I just didn't want to do that anymore. And I come to a point where I had to just turn it off because I didn't like how it was making me feel. And... You know, in the article, he talked about not being able to sleep before games because all he was thinking about was fighting the guy across the way, and that's exactly what it's like. Uh, we used to, you know, tough guys used to joke about it and say, you know, the sheets were pretty wet after my afternoon nap because I really didn't get much sleep. I was sweating and I was tossing and turning because I was thinking about the guy across the way that I was going to have to drop the gloves and square up against. 
But it's true. It really is. You just can't turn that off. I don't care how tough of an individual you are, how mentally strong you are. You're going to think about those things because it's bodily harm that potentially can come your way. You know, I, I, I love boxing. I love MMA. I love the fight game. I do. I think it's, you know, for me, it's been part of my life. And I, I, I understand that there's going to be negativity with it. People are going to say it's crazy that we do these things. But at the same time, um, for me, it was just part of the game for me. And, and, but by the end of it, I had a hard time dealing with it. And, you know, I have to say, like, it's not necessarily the physical part that I think gets to you. It's the mental part more than anything. It really does start to wear on you. And, you know, as he talked about, he wasn't sleeping. So what does he do? He, he self-medicated with medication. And the next thing you know, it turns into something else. And it's just, it's a downward spiral. It's really hard to get out of that. So I can relate to that, no question. I went through a little bit of that myself. And it's it's not a good road to go down. So I'm, I'm I'm really happy for Nick. I really am. I'm happy that he's he's brought this to light. I'm happy that he's seeing people, and I'm happy that he's uh, not afraid to discuss it and, and move on and try and be better and and be healthy. You know, that's really what this is all about. The, the head injuries now that the physical part of it. Um, I know he's doing some things, some some cutting edge um, treatments that he started to do. Uh, Dan Carcillo got him involved in those, and I hope that those work for him to can alleviate some of the symptoms that he's having because um, I haven't really experienced that, and I, I just think that that would be just another thing that you have to tack on that would be so incredibly hard to deal with, um, not only the, the psychological part of it, but the physical damage that's been done to not only his body but his brain. So I wish him all the best, and I, I'm really happy for him that he came out and spoke. Yeah, well said, and thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts uh, on that, Louis. But let's, uh, you know, move on to uh, the Oilers here. Uh, since the last time we talked, there's uh, been, you know, a lot of rumors here about Milan Lucic, and uh, it doesn't. It sounds like we haven't heard from Lucic. First of all, we haven't heard from his agent, Jared Johansson. We haven't heard from Shirelli on this matter. But it seems like there is a discussion out there being had about the Oilers maybe potentially trading Milan Lucic. I don't know if he's demanded a trade or anything like that, but uh, maybe he's open to the idea of moving on is what we are hearing from maybe people more involved uh, in the media circuit, such as Elliot Friedman. So when it comes to Milan Lucic here, Louis, um, like, have you heard anything? What do you think this, this current situation is with Lucic? Do you see a potential move being made this offseason? Well, I think there certainly could be. I, I don't think there's... Any question, they're going to be shopping around trying to move Milan Lucic. I mean, he has a big deal. He's underperforming. I mean, like any other player, um, he's evaluated every year. Uh, do I think that he can still salvage and come back and get back to his form? Yeah, I, I do. I still do believe that. And some people are going to shake their head and say there's no way. But um, call me a believer. I, I look at the stats from Milan Lucic. This is a bad year for him last year, really bad year. And especially the second half, it was terrible. So... I look at that, and that's an anomaly to me. I look over the previous six full seasons for Lucic, and his stats were fine. He's a 55-point guy on average. He's a 20- to 23-point goal guy on average. So I, if he was to come back and put those numbers forward, you know what's going to happen when he's playing well? The mental aspect of the game is going to come for him a little easier as well, and he's going to be, he's going to be more excited to come to the rink, and he's going to play harder. Unfortunately for Milan, I think now with the season that he did have, he's going to have to get the mental side of it in, in check first. Everyone talks about physically, he's got to come in lighter, he's got to come in faster, he's got to come in more skilled. 
listen, that's all great. That's fine and dandy. And I think that's awesome when you're working on your skills like every hockey player should to try and be better every summer to get back into the season. But he said personally it was it was 90% mental or 95% mental that he talked about. That's the area that I'd be concentrating on on the long loop You know what? Get back to being excited to come to the rink. Get back to, you know, wanting to play for the guys who play the style of game that makes you so successful and has made you so successful for your career. The question is, can he do that? And that's that's what we're going to be watching for if he does indeed come back to the Edmonton Oilers or go somewhere else. But I think for the Edmonton Oilers, Peter Shirelli right now, I, I don't think he'd be doing his job if he wasn't searching for a trade that he thinks could benefit the Edmonton Oilers. That's his job right now is to try and make any deal, uh, any any way, shape, or form if he feels it's going to be a better acquisition for his team, whether by subtraction or addition, um, that's what a general manager's, manager's job is to do. So, yeah, I think there's been talk. Yeah, I think he's certainly knocked on some doors. And I think people have probably inquired about Milan Lucic because of the stats that we just talked about in the last six years. He had a bad year, but I don't think it's going to be as bad of a year this year for him. I think he's going to come back with a, a little different attitude, and I do believe he'll be better. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. I think he, he will be better. I don't think he can be any worse. And you look at the Oilers' current situation on the wings, Louis, there's not a lot there. There are a lot of question marks. I mean, you have Paul RV, you have Ratty, you have Aberg, you have Kara if he plays on the wing. A lot of question marks. So Lucic right now might be your second-best winger after Nugent Hopkins. Super slick. And that's the one area, when you look over the last couple of years, Maroon gone, Everly gone, Latesti two years ago had 16 goals for them. He was traded last year. Um, Taylor Hall... Three years ago, I mean, this is—it's—I'll tell you, this is uh, this is an area of need for the Edmonton Oilers. And you're right, Milan Lucic right now is their second best player. Whether or not the stats don't prove that last year, his previous stats do prove that. So, Tyratty came in, did a great job at the end of the year. I think he's going to get a real long look there on the right side in that top line again because I like the way he works there, and that's why he earned himself a, a one-year, one-way contract. And good on him for coming in and grabbing those reins because not a lot of guys did. And that's something that he can take into this offseason, work forward to next year and try and make that a multi-year deal the next time. That's that's what it's all about. It's about trying to improve and stick around the league for as long as you can. And, but the wings are certainly an area of need for the Edmonton owners, and they've got some, some question marks along both both flanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there is some young talent on the way as well with Pulley RV, who we hope will take a bigger step this season. Yamamoto, Benson, and they have the 10th overall pick here as well, Louis, and there are yeah. maybe some wingers uh, in the mix potentially at that spot as well. I know you're heading out to Dallas for the draft. There's a lot of uh, you know smaller defensemen in the mix too. Uh, do you think it comes down to picking uh, you know a position of need for the Oilers, or do you simply just take the, the best player available at number 10? Well, that's a good question, and it, it, it'll really depend on who's left over at that number 10 pick. If they remain there and don't trade up or if there's not a deal that's made before that pick is taken, um, I really do believe that what what happens to the teams in front of them? What what exactly are they looking for? What was, what were their needs? And who's left on the table? Because we all feel we kind of know who that top 10 is going to be, but I guarantee you there's going to be a couple players that sneak up in there that we didn't see coming. So there will be a couple players left on the table, and that's when it will be a decision, I believe, if you're that number 10 spot. As it always is. You know what? I think that every team goes in there with a list. They have their top prospects, the players they'd like to have, and you just start checking them off as they're taken. But when it gets to your pick, if your top guy is still there, your second or third top guy is still there, that's typically the guy you go with. And you know what? 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I think they have a need at defense. I think they have a need at wing. But if the best player available is a centerman, I don't see how you can't take them. It's a lot easier to transition over to wing from center than, than wing from center to wing than wing to center. So taking a centerman is never a bad idea to have depth. You see a lot of teams doing that now where they're loading up on centers and they're converting them to wingers because of the way the game's played now. And that's right, left, center. I mean, to be able to play all three positions is something that's a real commodity now and for players that can jump around in a lineup. Um, and play through your top six or top nine. Those, those are players that every team is looking for. So it, it'll be interesting. That's why it's always fun. I, I love the draft for that reason because every team has needs, but it's so alluring when maybe a player gets overlooked that's on your list and it's very high on your list and you say, well, you know what? Our need is at defense, but right now, the best player on the table is a right winger. Are we going to take the best player or are we deep enough in our organization to take a need? I think right now Edmonton needs the best player available, but they might look at it a little differently and start to try and rebuild this a little differently and look to take a player of need. So I'm going to be just as interested as you are to see what, what uh, transpires um, in, a, in a week and a half. Well, just quickly here, Louis, they did a, a mock draft on Oilers TV, and uh, it was Bob, Jack, and uh, Gene doing uh, the mock draft, and they did it as if the, the, you know, the nine picks were made and they all had the same pick at number 10 and they all picked their guy based on who was left so these were the four options out there Boquist Ty Smith Jack Michaels went with uh, Heat in the center and uh, the Russian Kratsov who seems to be a riser in uh, the draft uh, right now was also mentioned but Bob took Smith uh, Gene took Boquist and Jack took Hayton so out of those four who would you uh, pick at number 10 I think I said earlier to you or to Bob that I really did like Ty Smith I like the way that he played um you know, I, I got to interview him at the uh, Combine as well, and I thought he was a real neat kid from Lloydminster, which is also a plus for me. You know, a kid from these parts, if he was to be drafted by the Oilers, I think that'd be a special moment for him and his family. But, you know, he's a defenseman, um, but a smart defenseman. He can skate, and I, I think he's already shown some leadership qualities at a very early age. So I, I think that there's some real high upside there for him. Um but at the same time, there's something about this Boquist that I really like. Uh, he has an amazing shot. The, the best thing about him is that he's right-handed. You know, I watch him shoot the puck, and he just loves to shoot it. He's mobile, and again, he's an undersized defenseman. He's around 5'11". I think he's explosive, though. I think he's, he's, a, he's a very good skater. And I, I just, I, you know, I look at him, and I, I don't know if he'll still be there, to be honest with you. There's some people that thought that he should have got picked or should get picked ahead of Darlene. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do know that he's a guy that people are watching. I don't think he'll be there at 10, in my opinion, but if he is, I think he's a hard guy to overlook um, because of those qualities, because of the fact that he loves to shoot the puck and he's a right-handed shot. He's played on a bigger ice surface. Uh, I think he's going to be a real solid player, but um, those are the guys for me that stand out. Again, I'm leaning towards the defenseman just to build up that depth in the back end, but uh We'll see. You know what? Again, it depends on who comes through and who doesn't uh, who doesn't get drafted in the top nine, um, and what's left over. What are you looking for? It'll be interesting. Absolutely. All right, Louis. We'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll talk again next Thursday ahead of uh, the draft. Uh, have some fun out there in Dallas, by the way. Sounds good, bud. All right, that's Lee DeBrusque, NHL Hockey on Rogers, our regular Thursday contributor. It's twelve fifty-four in Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout and come back with some of your text messages.
When you want to fly your Oilers colors with fan gear or outfit your fan cave, there's only one place. ProAmSports.ca Jerseys, apparel, headwear, and memorabilia from your favorite players and teams. Whether it's the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, MLB, or more, ProAm Sports are your fan cave specialists. And if it comes with a ProAm Sports Certificate of Authenticity and hologram, you know it's 100% authentic, hand-signed memorabilia. So no matter who you cheer for, ProAm Sports has got your guy. Visit their Edmonton showroom on St. Albert Trail. Fill your fan cave at ProAmSports.ca That's ProAmSports.ca Alright, it's 12.59 in Edmonton. Uh, Brendan Ulrich with you here on Oilers. Now Bob Stoffer uh, attending the Claire Drake celebration of life that uh, gets going at 1.30 over at the U of A. Uh, we're talking about Milan Lucic on the text line. You can text us 630-630. Uh, but when we come back, we are going to uh, get to Brian Lawton of the NHL Network, one of the most dialed-in media guys out there. We're going to talk about uh, the situation in Ottawa, where he feels John Tavares is going to land. Ilya Kovalchuk, what's up in Carolina, Montreal, lots to hit on around the NHL. We'll do that with uh, Brian when we get back at 135. Morley Scott will set up the Eskimos game as well. So that's all ahead on Oilers now. But first, Thomas Dias has your 1 o'clock news update.